0: This is the COVID season. It's been very difficult for a number of reasons. Uh, there's a, something called ImPremise that is from Hillsdale College. It's a wonderful little uh, monthly magazine they put out with usually an address or an article in it. And this week is by a man who's talking about the COVID crisis. He's a PhD, MD at Stanford. He teaches at Stanford. And I, th- I just want to share this with you. This is what he says in part... He says, the Center for Disease Control this past June found that one out of four young adults aged 18 to 24 had seriously considered suicide. That's incredibly higher than normal. Human beings are not, after all, designed to live alone. We're we're meant to be in company with one another. It is unsurprising that the lockdowns have had the psychological effects that they've had especially among young adults and children who have been denied much needed socialization. I, I, I read that just to say that, that th- this man, it's a wonderful article, but I, I have no idea that he's a follower of Jesus. I have no idea that he's Trinitarian. That he understands that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before time began, that we are made in His the image of God. And because we are made in the image of God, we're made for community. We are the body of Christ. And so my encouragement is as we we go forward that if you're not compromised and, and you you feel safe, we're trying to have cautionary things here. We're wearing masks. Man, I'd love to see more people come back uh, just to be among the people of God. There's an energy there. It's, there's a blessing of the Holy Spirit when you have in-person worship. And so I'm, I'm, so that, that's my encouragement. And if you are someone who says, I, I feel compromised and let us know who you are so we can drop material off or speak to you at a distance. We want to be a blessing to people. And this is a very difficult time. I would add our senior adults to that list. A very difficult time for, for senior adults. And so we we want to do that. Well, church, well, I'm in the book of Micah. Micah wrote his Old Testament book, 8th centuries before Jesus, he's a contemporary of Hosea and Isaiah. The theme of Micah is that because of the abandonment of God by the leaders who have made idols in their own image, idols of prosperity and idols of convenience, uh, idols where they are allowed to abuse people in their own understanding, because of that they have abused people and because of that idolatry and the abuse of people, the judgment of God is coming. So Micah is saying God's going to scatter you by judgment, but he will one day gather his people together. So it's a book about judgment, but ultimate hope. And in Micah 6, we've studied the last few weeks, the Lord says, uh, as if he's on trial, says, how have I wearied you? How have I failed you? I've did this and I did this and I did this, and yet you're not following me. And then he says, and you're using the sacrificial system not as a means of expressing your worship to me. You're using the sacrificial system in some weird way of trying to bargain with me and trying to earn my favor. Where the sacrificial system it is the expression of the heart worship. And it looks forward to the coming Messiah, the Lamb of God, who in some way they didn't fully understand here, take away the sin of the world. We understand it by the cross. And then so he asks these rhetorical questions in verse Six of chapter six, what, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? The answer is yes. And then he goes over and above. Well, how about, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000s of rivers of oil, ultimate hyperbole? And then he says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And the answer is absolutely no, no, no. You're trying to bargain with God. A true heart worshiper lives this way. Verse eight. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, And to walk humbly with your God. And so we're taking a very slow look at this passage. Justice two weeks ago. Today we're dealing with loving kindness. Justice, we said two weeks ago, was was the, 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 the desire and the commitment to act equitably with all people. To treat people with dignity and respect and to protect those who... Cannot in a culture protect themselves to be someone who treats people with respect because they're made in the image of God and they're worthy of respect and Christian love. And we walk under the authority of scripture in the way we care for the sojourner or the widow or the orphan. Loving kindness is a word, the wonderful word hesed, which means uh, in part this, it means to, to do that which is, right and good and to determine in your heart to pursue that which is helpful for other people to have a supernaturally generous outgoing care for others supernaturally given by the holy spirit but he starts off by saying that he has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. He says, this is good and this is what the Lord requires. Because God is good, he requires certain things. God's word is not walls that divide. God's word is a guardrail that keeps you from going over the mountain pass. God's word is a path you walk on. He has told you what is good and what the Lord in his tender mercy requires of you. And I love this statement by C.S. Lewis. one of my favorite Lewis statements. He says this, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. His compulsion is my liberation, our liberation. In other words, what God says to do leads to our joy, our liberation, because the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. And so he says, I I, I require these things of you. Now, when I was growing up, I had wonderful mom and dad. They're still alive. They're dear, dear people. And between the ages of say 13 and 17, they would uh, tell me to do something. And I would say, why? And they would tell me why. And I'd say, but, but why? And they'd give me another reason. And then I'd say, but why? And then they would say what? Because I told you to do it. And when they did that, I remember thinking, I will never ever do that. I, I will never say to my children, because I told you to do that. And guess what? We had kids, and I would tell them to do something. I'd say, four years old, it's time to go to bed. Why? Uh, it's good for you. Why? Because the American Medical Association and the Department of Pediatrics, and the Journal of Pediatrics says that you need 12 hours of sleep a night. It's time to go to bed, and I'm tired of you. It's time to go to bed. <laughs> and so they keep on saying, why? And I she would say, what? Because I told you so. So I, I laugh about that, and, 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 Is there any parent here who has a child over two weeks of age who who hasn't said that? No takers. Last hour, no takers either. Listen to this. The father never, ever, ever says in scripture, do this because I said so. Divine fiat. Boom. He always says, do this for joy. Do this for purpose. Do this for peace. Do this to experience human flourishing. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? It's required because it's good. For example, in Hebrews chapter 10, it uses the same word. Verse 12 says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to love and serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Your good. He says, Behold, he's the great creator God. Verse 15. Yet this great creator God has set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all the peoples of the earth as you are this day, therefore obey the Lord. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords and he's great. And take care of the sojourner and the orphan and the widow who walks among you. And then he says this in verse 21. He says, he, says, he is your praise. And the word praise means your song of joy. He's your glory. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. He is your song of joy. And so I I look at this and I say, you know, the the Lord is gloriously good and He requires these things of us for our liberation and freedom and joy. Now what's interesting about this passage, I've been thinking about it. So justice, when you talk about justice anywhere in our culture, you get people that will, listen and applaud, because justice is doing that which is equitable and fair for other people, we say as believers, because they're made in the image of God and God has spoken and we live this way. But in the culture large, you talk about justice is important, defending those who cannot defend themselves, standing up for the widow and the orphan and the disenfranchised and the marginalized, and everybody's going to say, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. But when you, when you, when you talk about loving kindness you don't get the same response. Because, see, loving kindness is determining in your heart to do good to other people in faithful covenantal commitments. And then, through the rest of Scripture, it's a supernatural, Holy Spirit-given orientation to do good to those who don't necessarily deserve it or even want it. And people go, I'm not tracking with you. I don't get it. I get justice, but loving kindness, chesed, I don't get. It's like studying the Lord's Prayer in a very cursory way. In Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, first petition, hallowed be your name, honored be your name. You go, well, yeah, okay. Thy kingdom come. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see this kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Give us this day our Daily bread. Boy, I need that one. Yeah, I need that one. And then the fifth petition. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And you go, hold the phone. Wow. And then Jesus says a few verses later, for if you forgive men their sins, your sins are forgiven. But if you do not, All bets are off. In the larger catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith says that as we pray, forgive us our sins, we are rather emboldened to ask and eagerly expect that when we ask for the forgiveness of sins, we receive it because we have this testimony in ourselves. Listen, that we from the heart forgive others their sins. In other words, We are emboldened to ask this and we're eager to expect it and we believe we have it because from the heart we are forgiving. Folks, that's loving kindness. And that does not get a huge crowd to stand up at an awards dinner and give you an ovation. Justice, absolutely. Loving kindness. And so I think, son, and I've really tried to, how do do I get this across? So I'm, I'm gonna give you three points and an application. Point number one. This kind of supernatural orientation, Hesed love, where Jesus says, basically says, if you give gifts to those who give gifts to you, it's no big deal. If you bless those who bless you, he said, people who have no concept of God do that. But when you care for people who curse you and you forgive people who spitefully have abused you, then you show that you're children of God. That's tested love. That's loving kindness. So the point number one is this. Worship must be primary. And I say worship must be primary. To me, there's, there's nothing more ridiculous than for us to run to a room of people and say, hey, be loving kind, have, have loving kindness, or to go, into a, go to man-to-man man to man this Friday and say, hey, men, love your wives like Jesus loves the church. And everybody's gonna say, give me a break. No, we should say, you need to worship God and plead for the Holy Spirit and wait upon Him and say, Lord, I'm going to minister out of the overflow of who Jesus is in me. I am a leaky bucket, and I leak all day long. And so I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And In other words, just to say, practice loving kindness doesn't work. I think we have to say, first of all, you've got to look to the Lord to be saturated with the goodness and the glory and the majesty and the grandeur of all Jesus is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to first of all be worshipers. I was thinking of Psalm 27, which is a psalm where the psalmist is suffering some issues, but boy, he just overflows with confidence in God. He says, the Lord is my, my, my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and to eat of my flesh and my adversaries and foes come against me, they're going to stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, I'm not going to fear. Why? Listen. Verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. Not only will he hide me and conceal me, but he will lift me high upon a rock. How can you say that? Listen to the last two verses of the Psalm. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Look to him with expectation. Worship him. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And it's just, it's, it's all about worship. Behold the glory of God. So this is the 49th week of the year. New City Catechism has 52 questions. So question 49 this week said this. Catechism, you ask question, is answered. Question, where is Christ now? Answer. Christ rose bodily from the grave on the third day after his death and is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling his kingdom and interceding for us until he returns to judge and renew the whole world. Wow. So Jesus is reigning but he's interceding. See, the Bible says that Jesus is interceding right now for his church and for individual members of the church so I can have confidence that I can go forward in grace and I can say to myself, self, let your light so shine before men that they see Jesus because Jesus is praying for you and because you are waiting upon him. Because in glory, there is a Messiah praying for you with nail-pierced hands and a spear imprint in his side. So we must be worshipers. If you just jump into being loving kind, I, mean, I need to be filled with loving kindness. I don't, I don't, I don't think it works. Number two, the, the overflow, listen, the overflow of loving kindness is caring for people. Really the greatest commandment in the is Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, so mind and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I I look at this, and and really what it says, what loving kindness says is this, is that get outside of yourself and care for other people. Get outside of yourself and care care, care for people. Get outside of yourself and live. Get outside of yourself and experience joy. So this morning, if you'd turn on the internet and looked at the headlines, you could have seen some of the following headlines, I think. Uh, How to have a six-pack abs by Christmas. Or what food you can eat and not overeat. Or, or, Or maybe the stock market still is going bullish. These are good stock tips. Or Coastal Carolina has officially changed their name from the Chanticleers to the Mullets. Great game last night. Congratulations. Okay. Let me tell you what you won't read on the internet this morning or any morning. You ready? Remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Said Jesus. You won't read... God our Father delights in this that you look after widows and orphans in their distress and you keep yourself from being polluted by the world. You will not read, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, says Jesus. You will not read, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to put their hope and wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in the living God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You you won't read those things, but you'll read them here. You'll hear hear them among the brothers and sisters. And, And that is what gives life. And that is why we operate from the overflow. So we get outside of ourselves and we live. We get outside of ourselves and we serve others. Loving kindness, hested love. Let me celebrate. I celebrate that even though because of COVID, worship numbers are down, people aren't coming back, all the, all the people aren't coming back, but Operation Christmas Child, you know, the shoe box where you put materials in for boys or girls and they put in a gospel track in their language before it's sent out, that we collected 600 Operation Christmas Child boxes. Two or three weeks ago, I mentioned... Uh, Project Angel Tree, which is a ministry where people take a name of a young woman or a young, young child and boy, and, and they go out and they're, they're the, 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 the children of prisoners. And because of their parents being in prison, mom or dad or both or whatever, they'll have a very limited Christmas. And so we go out and we buy them Christmas gifts and we give them the message of the gospel. And we had 189 and they were all gone. after I think after the first service, boom, gone. So that, 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 that's a statement of people saying we're getting outside of ourselves I celebrate I was just thinking about people who do prison correspondence with prisoners a lot of older ladies and men in our church do that I think of people who go to the navigation center where there are people who are struggling and they, they throw them a party or people involved in literacy or I think of our doctors and our nurses and our therapists who, who really during this COVID have, experience have, have really risked their health to care for people thank you medical community I was talking to a PCA student here at our school this week and he said, he was tired of being incubated. And I said, I don't think that's the word. I don't think your mom was a chicken. Uh, I, I, was, I was very kind. I said, I think the word you're looking for is quarantined. But well, aren't, you, aren't you tired of being quarantined? I, I am. But thank you, health community. So here's a question. If someone were to say to you, how do you know You are filled with the Holy Spirit to the glory of the name of Jesus. Here's one answer. You care for other people in his name. Pretty simple. You you understand he's required us to do justice and to love kindness, to really care for people. Now, let me just talk to you about the manifestation of People who, who leaders who desert the true worship of God and make idols in their image, idols of really prosperity, idols that gives them excuse clauses to do what they do. I mean, there's a passage in Micah says that, that you you plot uh, abusing people on your bed and you do it because you have the power to do it. And it says you you've, you've defrauded widows and orphans and the sojourner who is among you and God is and God is. So you, have, you make you abandon the worship of God, you make God in your image, and the inevitable result in Micah is that you abuse people. And because of that, this is what's going to happen. And this is God's judgment. Listen, this is Micah 6. I'm just going to read the verses, starting in verse 11. He says, shall I quit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? In other words, you, you would weigh out you know, something to sell people, but the weights were deceitful. It said one pound in the weight, but really it was... It three pounds. It says, it says, "Your rich men are full of violence, and your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful. therefore I will strike you with a grievous blow. God just abandoned He just pulls back his, his blessing. Verse 14, "You shall eat but not be satisfied." You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. And you will sow, but not reap. And you shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. Why? He says, because, verse 16 of chapter six, you have kept the statues of Omri and the words of the house of Ahab. You've walked in their counsels, which is idolatry. And I will make you a desolation and a hissing. And this is what grabs me. I love my family. But he says there's so much deceit and abuse and the abandonment of God and a lack of blessing. Listen, chapter 7 put no trust in a neighbor. I've got some great neighbors. I trust them. Have no confidence in a friend. I've got some wonderful friends. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. In other words, you can't even trust your spouse. The, the, the son treats his father with contempt and the daughter rises against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies are men of his own house. That's what happens when you're abandoned by God. And it starts with impure worship and making idols in your own image and for your own satisfaction and mistreating people. There's a poem written by William Butler Yeats entitled The Second Coming. And Yeats was an incredible Gifted man, not a Christian. He wrote this in 1919. Right after World War I, he saw many of his contemporaries slaughtered in World War I. This was during the the pandemic of his day. His wife was pregnant, was uh, sick. He thought she was going to die and lose the baby. She did not, thankfully. He was from Ireland, and Ireland was at war really basically with Great Britain. People were being killed in the streets. And he wrote a poem entitled The Second Coming. And this is what it says. Let me just read part of it. He says... Turning and turning in a widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dimmed tide is loosed everywhere. The ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best of all lack conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And he says, he says, we come to the place where the, the, the best have no conviction and the worst have passionate intensity about falsehood. But he says this, things fall apart, the sinner cannot hold. Let, let me tell you, listen to me. If you want your life to hold The center to hold, the center of your friendships, the center of your life, the center of your marriage, your parenting, your future, your legacy. If you want the center to hold, you go hard for the living God whose name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you abandon that center and you make God in your image that allows you to do and live the way you just want to, the center won't hold. Okay, number three the grace of the cross multiplies the glory of hessed love 10,000 times. You see, Micah is saying these things, looking at the people who are anticipating the coming Messiah. In fact, there's Micah 5, I hope to preach this in two weeks, God lets me live. It's a prophecy about Jesus and he says, but out of you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, a backwashed little, city, little town that didn't even have a stoplight. Out of you will come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, <laughs> whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, has been prophesied and longed for. And it says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great even to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And he says, Micah said, I'm looking forward to that. It's coming out of Bethlehem, the ruler from of old, the ruler of Israel, and he shall be our peace, and we shall dwell secure. Is coming, is coming. But, but, but see, he saw that dimly. We see it fully. And so we see it fully because of that, Because we have seen the glory of Jesus, because we have received the Holy Spirit, because we have the Word of God, our loving kindness should be so much more because He's now here, He's come. I love Christmas because we celebrate the incarnation. God became a man. And so, John 1 is in the sermon guide. It says that just two verses it says, Verse 16, for, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, upon, from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him. And one version says, no one's ever seen God, but this God who is uniquely God, who became a man, has fully disclosed to us the reality of all that God is for us. In the Old Testament, Moses saw the the very back part of God because said you can't see God and live, but Jesus shows us the glory of God. In fact, Hebrews 1 says, I love this, he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Behold, the glory of God. So when you get when you get to see the glory of Jesus, it it heightens hasted love. It pushes it through the roof. Same concept is used in Ephesians four that says and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you in Jesus. Wow. See that's the basis. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about so many peace people in our prayer guide work among Muslim people. And uh, in in Islam, the chief sin, the unforgivable sin is called the sin of shirk, S-H-I-R-K, which means to attribute to Allah, who is beyond all and beyond definition, to attribute to Allah anything that is earthly. And so when we come with the gospel and we say, God became a man, it's a scandal to the Muslim. And yet that's the gospel. The glorious gospel. God became man, which shows that man that God is for us, that his arms are open wide. And says, oh, I, I love Christmas hymns because they preach the gospel. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Or a little town of Bethlehem. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and the fears of all the years, all prefigured Christ, are met in thee tonight. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. No more do sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. I mean it's just that it goes on and on and on. So we glory in the fact that God Jesus is fully God and fully man. We call that the hypostatic union. Affirmed by the Council of Council in 451, God is fully God, and, or Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so how, how does that work? He it says, it's, it's beyond our comprehension, but we glory in it. He is the perfect God, man, who lived a perfect life and died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. So brothers and sisters, be glad. And celebrate the goodness of the Lord. I I think of of, of Hindus. I thought about Hindu people. And so the Hindus are kind of on the opposite extreme. The Hindus who are in India primarily will say something like this. There are three main gods. There's Brahma, there's Shiva, and there's Vishnu. And, And Vishnu has, in most understandings, has ten manifestations or Avatars. And they include, he came as a fish, or as a boar, or as a great hunter, or as a small person. Uh, He came as a, um, anyway, he came as Lord Krishna, Hare Krishna, as part of the worship of Vishnu. And if you ask a a scholarly Hindu, I said, "Do, do you really believe that this great God who's one of your many gods became really became a fish. Do you really believe that? I said, oh no 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 no. We don't really believe. We believe that those are wonderful stories that hold our culture together. And uh, and we say, as yeah, simple gospel Christians, let me let me tell you what we believe. We believe that we believe in Jesus Christ. Our only Savior, who's, who was born of the Virgin Mary, a real birth of blood and water. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under a historical figure named Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried a real body, real blood. He rose from a real grave. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the, and the living and the dead one day. It is a real historical account of a real person on a real wooden cross in a real cold, rocky tomb that, where the, you know, the stone was pushed away. I mean, it that, that, that happened, seen by 500 men. It's not a myth. It's a real God. And, and so we say, believe the good news of the gospel. So church, celebrate it very quickly in closing. I I had to make application. Here's my application. It's it's this. Determining to do good to others from a position of being supernaturally equipped by the Holy Spirit. Something like that. So I'm going to ask you to think of two or three people this week. And share it with your friend, family member, that you want to determine to do good for. Okay? so a lot of times we'll say just to go out and do good. Well, but I want you to think: take somebody a meal, go, go see somebody that has been isolated and speak to them at a distance. Uh, take somebody who maybe has been shut in for a ride to see the Christmas lights. There are a thousand things you can do. Um, but on that list of three people, I want one of them to be a difficult person. We all have family members that are Difficult. See, part of Hesed love is loving people who don't deserve it and don't even want it. But in the name of Jesus, write a letter and say, I'm thinking about you, send them a gift, do something just to make, we are called to this. Our Abba Father who loves us intensely requires us, He's good and requires us to do this. So that's the application. Pursue loving kindness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this precious little book called Micah. And and Lord, Micah challenged his people to live this way as they keenly anticipated the coming ruler from Bethlehem who would shepherd his people in the strength of the Lord. We challenge each other because we see the beauty of the shepherd who has come. So bless us, we pray. Lead us, oh God, please lead us. Teach us to adore you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.